Hello and welcome to the Real Food Whole Health Podcast, where it's all about real food and holistic living in the real world. With your host, nutritional therapist, Amy Love. And please note our disclaimer, all information and content in this podcast is for general information only and not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Thanks for tuning in to the Real Food Whole Health Podcast. Today we are talking with the Kombucha Mama, Hannah Crum from kombuchacamp.com. Hannah, thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure, Amy. It's so fun to talk to you. Oh, I'm so excited. So we are going to delve all into kombucha today. Well, I know you're a kombucha fan. Oh, my gosh, like crazy kombucha fan. <laughs> well, before yeah. you started this awesome road trip of yours, you used to brew it at home. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we were brewing like three, four gallons a week. Like, love, love, love it. Um, yeah, and I would give the extra scobies, which we'll get into what that is, um, to our pigs. And, yeah. Awesome. It was great. Did they, yeah, they, they, loved they gobbled it. them up, huh? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like instantly. Pigs, yeah. chickens, humans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the chickens would run through there and grab them, and uh huh, absolutely. I loved it, and uh, we had amazing success, um, and went really smoothly. I think we got our culture, our starter culture, from you, and it was just like beautiful and um, really easy to do. It saved us a ton of money because before that, we were of course buying kombucha in the store, um, and it can get pretty pricey when you've got like a serious kombucha habit. Yes. We always say when your uh, thirst outgrows your budget, that's when you come looking for us. There you go. That's a great way to put it. Um, so now how long have you known about kombucha? I mean, how did you even get started with this? Sure. I, I first uh, heard about kombucha back in 2003. I had um, a friend from college move to San Francisco, and I happened to be there with Alex, and we just got a really cool tour of his apartment. And I have to say, 2003 was back when I was still kind of standard American diet, uh, yeah. living the sad life, the pizza a diet and whatnot. Um, so this tour was really interesting, and I think you'll appreciate some of the other things that were on it. First of all, uh, in the bathroom, they had a filter on their shower. Oh, wow, right? Right. Like, what a concept it, at the time. It was amazing, though. right? I knew I wanted to filter my drinking water because I didn't want the chlorine in there. But then when I saw that, I was like, oh, of course, that makes so much sense. You don't want the chlorine right. all over your body either. I mean, yeah, because you're going to absorb it with your skin. Well, and I remember getting out of the shower and just feeling so dry and always having to put lotion on. And now, of course, I've got a whole house filter with a, you know, uh, charcoal, coconut fiber filter. Mm -hmm. And um makes a huge difference. Huge difference. Way less lotion being used. And my skin is yeah. much happier, I have to say. And your hair, too. It, like, kind of dries out your hair. Totally dries out your hair. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so. why you need all those conditioners and things because your body is, like, trying to just – balance itself back from being doused in chemicals from the shower. Yeah, exactly. So that was exciting. And then, um, you know, we make our way through the apartment and in the kitchen, she's got this sole set up. Have you ever heard of sole? It's uh, mm -hmm. pink Himalayan salt. And then you, you, you uh, soak it in water and you drink salt water. You drink it. Yeah. But it's like really heavy concentration of salt. It is. And, you know, of course, imagine coming from a sad perspective, like, whoa, what are you doing? Right. Would you that want that salt? much sodium? <laughs> exactly. And let alone now it's pink. What does that even mean? So, right. um, of course, now all we use is pink Himalayan salt or the Celtic sea salt. 
Mm-hmm. Um, salt like that and, uh, and love salt. And, you know, I've always enjoyed salty foods. And, and now that I have the right salt uh, and understand that I'm a battery and need those minerals to operate, it just so important for your adrenals, your energy. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So so this was an exciting tour. Um, and then uh, another part of the tour was the kombucha. So they had this table in a room. You know, it was just kind of a side room. They had a box on the table. It's covered with cloths and mysterious <laughs> jars. And they go, that's the kombucha. Never heard of it. Had no idea what it was. We didn't even taste it because it wasn't even ready to, to be tasted. But I was mm-hmm. just so intrigued by this concept that when I came back to L.A., I went to the Whole Foods in West L.A., grabbed myself a bottle of ginger ale. And, you know, it's that moment, right? Looking back, yes. the moment is... The clouds parted, the lights shone down, the angels were singing. Right, exactly. I had my first sip, and it really was for me, love it, first sip. Was it? Okay. Well, you know, here's my true Because it was not for me. <laughs> well, and a lot of people, a lot of people, it's not for them at first sip either. And, you know, they have to come back around and, and to grab another sample before they uh, get a bottle off the shelf. But, um, you know, I was the girl who was sneaking the pickle juice out of the pickle jar. Now, these okay. were not traditionally fermented. They were... It was probably I needed the salt. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> My body just like loved that like tangy, sour kind of flavor. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was just like, oh, this really resonates. And, um, you know, even if you, you know, love it or hate it on your first sip, you still get that little jolt of like your whole yes. body is like, whoa, what is that? That's exciting. Totally. So, um, so then my thirst uh, started to outgrow my budget. I went to the library here in L.A., found a couple books on kombucha, read up on how to make it. It seemed really easy. I knew I could do it because my friends were doing it themselves. And, you know, at that time on the Internet, if you went to certain, you know, free cycle or uh, different chat rooms or whatnot, um, you might be able to find a SCOBY, and you still can do that today. Uh, mm-hmm. Grabbed a SCOBY and just started making it myself. Because awesome. at that time there weren't there weren't a lot of people you could even get cultures from, or right. you know I didn't even understand the concept of what a quality culture would be back in 2003. So mm. I start brewing it, I start making it, and at first Alex is like, "Oh my gosh, pu, that stuff is weird. I why would anyone want to drink that? That's strange." Uh, so I kept experimenting with different flavors and different things, and and finally I made a flavor uh, that he really liked. Uh, pink lemonade. I still make it today. Mm. It's a nice. staples. It's a strawberry lemonade with a little bit of fresh thyme from the garden. Oh yeah. And once he got a sip of that, he he then fell in love with kombucha. You know, he was a convert. He was. Well, he used to take a nightly antacid. Okay. Well, just I mean, normal, right? You're eating a right. standard American diet. Yeah. You don't understand yep. your food. It's so many people terrible. do. Exactly. Absolutely. It's not. You have no idea what's going on, and so you do what everyone does. Yeah. You take the you take the drug, whatever that makes it all better goes away but you have to take it every night mm-hmm. so he starts drinking kombucha and within two weeks he's done with the pills wow yeah awesome yeah love he it. just he love it. it anymore and um it totally transformed both of our diets both of our perspectives and and really sent us on a journey of of trying to understand you know what it is our bodies actually need and how Mm-hmm. can be this kind of gateway into learning all of this stuff. And it really, so for you, that was like your door to come into the real food lifestyle was kombucha. It was. And, you know, it, That's so great. it was several years later. It wasn't even until 2010 when um, the kombucha was being taken off the shelves for the first time that I even found out about real food or traditional foods or raw milk. Um, oh, wow. Mark McAfee of Organic Pastures was making kombucha mm-hmm. at that time. And he was in Fresno. I uh, We happened to be, Alex and I were in Fresno for a trip uh for a work trip 
another job, something else. And we're like, okay, hey, we're in Fresno. Let's just stop by and see if they'll let us, you know, talk to them about their kombucha. We can interview them for our blog. Because um, uh, I started teaching kombucha workshops in 2004 out of my home, okay. which oh, cool. was like, you know, teach people how to make tea. But it's more than that, right? You know, because it's, yeah. it's more like teach people how to not be afraid of the SCOBY. Um, yeah. <laughs> which just for those who so don't true. know what the SCOBY is, it's a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. It's a cellulose structure that's kind of our mothership. We use it to transfer from batch to batch and get our kombucha going. So we're yeah. up in Fresno. It's not a mushroom, too. It is not. Let me be clear. Exactly right. Because a lot of people call it the kombucha mushroom or a SCOBY mushroom or anything like that. If, and by the way, again, SCOBY, the symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast, that's, you know, that's where we're getting the S. C-O-B-Y, SCOBY. That's why we're using that word. Um, and a lot of people hear, oh, it's a mushroom. It is not related to a mushroom at all. Well, it's like a kefir grain isn't actually a yeah. grain. Right. Or you're not holding a kefir grain thinking, oh, this is like wheat. Corn or wheat. <laughs> exactly. Or, yeah, exactly. It's just something that, you know, people in ancient times who didn't know there were microbes or bacteria present, you know, what's it look like? It looks kind of mm-hmm. like a mushroom cap. It kind of does, right? yeah. And so yeast are fungi, mushroom are fungi, but yeast are not mycelium. So they're more like distant cousins than, mm-hmm. you know, we're probably more related to a SCOBY than, than <laughs> a fun, it is. To so we probably are, yeah. <laughs> All of our bacteria in our gut. Exactly. Um, so so it's 2010. We're up in Fresno and um, – Oh, and in 2007, I'd started the blog. I just was okay. frustrated by the lack of quality information about kombucha on the Internet and just really wanted to put, here's what kombucha is, here's why not to be afraid of it, and here's all the great things, you know, that happened to me as a result of drinking it. So mm-hmm. that was really the impetus behind our website. Um, so this was another article for the blog. I was hoping to meet uh, Mark McAfee and learn about his kombucha. Well, we ended up learning so much more. We learned about mm-hmm. raw milk. Oh, sure. We learned about the Weston Price Foundation. You know, we learned all about this other type of eating that, honestly, Amy, was so in alignment with how I grew up, right? I'm a Midwesterner, meat and potatoes, butter, this and that. And all of these things had been demonized slowly as I was growing oh, wow. up. So it was really exciting to kind of like come back around to, oh, my gosh, these foods that I've always loved, in fact, are good for me if I source right. them from the right places. That's so the key, isn't it? And it's got to be sourced appropriately. It's got to be prepared appropriately. But there's a reason that we all like these foods sort of universally. When you talk to people about like butter, I mean, you know, butter, bacon, steak, whatever, people are like, oh, my God, butter. Mm. It's like because your body needs it. Right. Right. That's exactly right. And well, even kombucha, like you may not realize your body needs kombucha or sauerkraut or, you know, insert fermented food here, but it really does. It really does. And once you start like introducing uh, your body to these foods, the cultured fermented foods, you start craving them. You do. Because your body goes, oh, now I know what to make you crave <laughs> <laughs> to get me the nutrition I need. Well, and it also starts moving the body back into balance you know you already know our foods are over sugarfied people's ph's are out of whack they crave Mm -hmm. you know things that help organisms you don't want to be um dominating your gut to to thrive with the sugar addictions and things like that the candidas and whatnot and so when you start consuming these sour foods and sour is kind of an old term for what this process is right it was soured milk it was mm-hmm. the souring of the cabbage. It's sauerkraut, right? So it's a great way to describe the process as well as the flavor. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, again, like I think so many people's palates aren't getting all the different flavors. We don't get a lot of the bitter. We don't get a lot of the sour. You know, like you said, it's really like so much of the salt, so much of the sugar Mm -hmm. um, that people are used to getting. And I think that once you reintroduce this, it really opens your eyes to like the variety of food and the variety of what's out there. Like it really kind of retrains your palate as well. And the variety of flavors. I mean, bitter is really mm-hmm. good, especially when balanced with the little sweet. I mean, the spoonful yes. of sugar to help the medicine go down only works if you're consuming medicine. Right. <laughs> it doesn't work if you're that. also yeah. consuming sugar. You don't need right. more sugar to swallow the you sugar. Don't need that. But, right. but, you know, bitter and sour, these are the flavors that really support our health as a human yes. being. And that, in fact, we truly crave. And it's more because we're, um, trained to ignore those flavors that our bodies end up, you know, where they are. So kombucha is just a way back into all of that. And here's, and here's what it is. Like it's basically tea vinegar. Yeah, it really is. Except it's a mild drinking vinegar. Whereas, you know, most vinegars, apple cider vinegar, things like that, they're diluted to a four to 7% acetic acid acidity. Kombucha Mm -hmm. is only around 1%. Okay. And that's why you can drink a lot more kombucha than you can vinegar. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of times we would let ours go for a while so that we could use it like apple cider vinegar in um, in salad dressings and things like that. Mm-hmm. But even there, then it was even more gentle. Exactly right. It's a much gentler form. And so I think that's why it appeals to people is because, I mean, everyone understands the health benefits of tea. There's been so mm-hmm. many studies on it. Everyone understands the health benefits of vinegar. When you combine those two together, it makes sense why some Something like kombucha can, you know, address a laundry list of symptoms that you'll often see people, you know, claims it helps them with. And it's not because, oh, kombucha is this magical thing that um, that is, you know, from the heavens or whatever. I mean, that's what the legends will tell you. That right, right, right. You know, this mortality. Exactly right. But I think why it got that name in the first place is people understood that it really quickly brought them back into balance and mm-hmm. gave them that kind of innate feeling of just wellness, of feeling good, feeling alive. And so. Exactly. It's all about letting, it's all about providing the raw materials for the body to bring itself back in balance and do what it needs to do. Exactly right. And, yeah. and you know, unfortunately, we're trained through advertising and this and that, that we're looking for one thing that's going to change our life or one thing we have to include in our The magic bullet. Exactly. And it just doesn't exist. And I, no. that's the good thing. The good news is it doesn't exist. Otherwise, no. we would just, you know, just make the soiling green and that's all we need to eat, you know. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so we get all this variety. Yes. And, yeah. and it's it's fun. Variety is fun. So I think that um, kombucha is something that just enlivens the palate, reintroduces people to more possibilities, and, and really helps them to, frankly, get off of the addicting sodas and the sugar substitutes yeah. out there and, and even reduce your alcohol consumption. You know, some of, so true. some of what I've noticed in myself is certainly I've become way more sugar sensitive, which is not to say I don't consume sugar. I do have, mm-hmm. you know, my little bit of chocolate in the evening, you know, my little dessert. It's 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 there to be like the sprinkles, not the whole cake, right? Exactly. <laughs> I love that, yeah. It's, it's there just to be the flourish. Um, so I still have it. I just don't have it in the same quantities I used to consume it or crave it. Um, mm-hmm. It also reduces my desire for alcohol, which as much as I enjoy going out and having a cocktail or a pint of a uh, really good Hefeweizen or craft beer, um, you know, at a certain point, my body's like, all right, enough already. Exactly. And that's why I love when you can go out and get kombucha cocktails. 
Yeah, I know. We were just at ChipCon, right? At Chip we Con were just kombucha at a cocktails. conference together, yeah. yes, and had kombucha cocktails, and they were so phenomenal. And you know, we kind of made a little joke that we were detoxing and retoxing <laughs> because you got like the toxins of the alcohol and the detox effect of the kombucha. So it was a little inside joke, but it was um, really lovely. And you know, it's got that little effervescence, that little sparkly um, quality, and just that. Um, range of kind of the sweet, the sour, the the fruitiness, like herbalness, whatever, you know, it's flavored with, but really, really cool. And then to just throw that for a party with, you know, a little splash of vodka or a little whatever was really nice. Well, we call it a little antidote with the poison. And there you go. the way we think about it is kombucha creates certain specific acids, gluconic, glucuronic acid. Both of these acids help support healthy liver function. So mm-hmm. if you think about that the liver is there as your filter, so things, xenobiotics, these are things that come from outside your body. So they could be right. uh, pharmaceutical or medications or coffee or, you know, just anything that kind of creates a stimulating effect on the body will go through the liver before it gets released into the bloodstream so that the liver can pull out anything that might be potentially toxic. Well, if you think about how we're overexposed to chemicals in our food, to chemicals in the air, to chemicals in the water, in our beauty products, I mean, we are literally, exactly, we're under attack to a certain extent. And it's, we don't even know because it's so... Exactly. It's so prolific. Thank you. That's the right word. Um, (laughs) So when you start to incorporate something that allows the liver to release those toxins, it makes a lot of sense why people's first comment for drinking kombucha is it makes me feel good because Mm -hmm. now their body has what it needs in order to deal with this onslaught of of chemicals. And, um, you know, it's these chemicals that have made us so sensitive, our food allergies and things like this. And so um, gut dysbiosis and uh, things like that also seem to quickly – get back into alignment when you start including kombucha on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And speaking of cocktails, I want to mention we have 50 cocktail recipes in our book that's coming out. Really? March. Yes. It's oh my gosh, called, I cannot wait for this book. It's exciting. It's the big book of kombucha. It's 400 pages, so it's wow. aptly titled. And yes. anyone who is excited and wants to get this book right away can go and pre-order from their local bookstore, grab oh, it cool. on Amazon.com. So it's in both places already. Oh, awesome. That's wonderful. Yeah, no, I saw some of the pictures that you guys, you know, were posting on Facebook from the book, and I've been kind of following your progress with that, and I think it's going to be amazing, an amazing resource. Well, and not only do we have cocktail recipes, we've got food recipes. So I was talking about eating your SCOBYs earlier. We do. Mm-hmm. We have recipes for how you can do that. Oh, wow. So it's That's not neat. just for the pigs and chickens. Right. Yeah, we've <laughs> never done that, so that would be a new one. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, people are like, well, why would I want to eat this? First of all, it ends up becoming a byproduct, right? Because you have the cultures you need to make your brew and then you just get the extras. And, you know, for some people, they will just line their counters with jar after jar of scobies, not knowing what to do with them. But they- Yeah, we had our big scoby hotel yeah. and we had like 30 living in there. And, you know, I would like refeed them mm-hmm. all the time and then take out some of the stuff that was in there and mix it with my some batches that weren't as strong as I wanted or whatever. And then, yeah, eventually it was like, okay, this is so many. And I would share a lot with people locally and all of that. But um, I always had more than I needed. And so they would eventually make their way out to the animals. But, yeah, that's, that would have been great if I could have been including that in our diet. Well, it's it's a bacterial cellulose. And cellulose is not digestible, but what it does is it acts like a broom. So it will come through and just kind of sweep out excess 
um, mm-hmm. in the in the digestive system. It'll also sweep out like excess cholesterol and, and other hormones. So it does help rebalance the blood sugar and things like that. Plus, it's a great way to use what's essentially a byproduct rather than just mm-hmm. chucking it into the compost heap, although that's a great place to use it. And, you know, uh, people are getting really creative with the SCOBY. So there's folks out there who are trying to turn it into a vegan leather substitute. I saw that. There's people who turn it into jewelry. Um, <laughs> you know, it's got a lot of great potential uses. Um, so I'm excited to see where that – and, in fact, speaking of excited to see what happens with it, they just sent it out to space with NASA. They want to see what? can the biofilm continue to connect and build in zero gravity. So No way. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Wow. <laughs> That will be really interesting. Definitely to see what what it comes back with, what kind of information they come back with. But, you know, so this is, of course, what most people want to do, though. They just want to make it at home. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we do best is just make it real easy for people to make it at home, to feel confident that they're making it safely. Because it's a food. It's a food like any other. But because, you know, we're that step removed from fermentation, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we live in this anomalous bubble in time when we're not consuming fermented foods with every meal. Exactly. This used to be such common practice. Yeah, this is something our our grannies, our great grannies used to do. passed down through the family traditions and it's that processed food revolution that occurred you know post world war ii that really kind of mm-hmm. look Changed it promised convenience and it's not to say it didn't deliver unfortunately it also then got rid of um the foods that that nourish our bodies and, and keep us strong so yeah so that's what we're back to is just helping people feel confident that, you know, first of all, I can make this safely. I'm not going to hurt myself or my family. And the truth is kombucha is one of the safest things you can make at home. There have been many research studies showing it's very antimicrobial. So it helps kill E. coli, salmonella, listeria, a lot of these kind of common uh, mm-hmm. contaminants on contact. You know, you probably wow. do better to lightly mist your vegetables and chicken in kombucha water before cooking it (laughs) and that would be even safer you know so using it as a marinade and things like that is a really great use for it as well because it has that kind of beneficial protective effect as well Mm -hmm. oh that's cool that's a nice idea and just like any food that goes bad how do you know it's bad right you get mold or yeah it tells you right Nature has devised a system to let us know when things are not appropriate for consumption. Right. And, And, you know, I did it for years, and I never had one moldy batch ever. I never actually had a batch do anything except what it was supposed to do. And and I probably made it for five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, the thing that people will run into difficulty or why they end up with mold is for a couple different reasons. So, first, they may be too cold of a temperature. Kombucha is Mm -hmm. something that loves warm temperatures. So 75 to 85, 78 to 80 being our sweet spot. And we help people achieve that with our heaters. We have mm-hmm. you know, heaters that we designed. There's nothing else like it on the market. And we even have one now with a thermostat. So you can literally just set it and forget it. Oh, wow. It can be used for all kinds of ferments, you know, so it's not just for kombucha. But kombucha loves, all of the ferments love that warmer temperature. Then the second reason is quality of the culture. Yeah. You know, so you probably know, Amy, that if you buy commercial yogurt, it's not going to have, for the most part, it's not going to be as diverse or have as many strains present as yogurt you make from a culture you got from someone. Exactly. The reason for that is whenever you scale something that is intended to be made at home on your counter into much larger batches, 
you have to make some shifts in that manufacturing process in order to achieve those higher levels of production. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kombucha manufacturers out there, they're, they're doing things in all different kinds of ways. And then the other issue, of course, is the, is the trace amounts of ethanol created by the fermentation process. Now, the okay. ethanol in kombucha is not intended to inebriate. And as we already mentioned, it actually helps support healthy liver function. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there as a preservative and as a nutrient. Which might be a weird way to think of alcohol, because I know we have very much a prohibition hangover still, almost 100 years later, uh, in regards to alcohol. But it really is our original medicine. It's something that um, we evolved with. And so um, it is necessary in our lives in certain ways. So um, I agree with that. And I think, you know, I mean, we are seeing a lot of the research done on um, people that are living longer that have, you know, that are mild to moderate drinkers and things like that. And it's almost independent of what we're drinking. I mean, I know that a lot of people have um, seen the research on red wine and things like that, but this is actually, they talk a little bit about how that um, almost like a stimulus to, to make the liver act at its mm. optimal. Mm-hmm. So it's absolutely, and, and we're talking, of course, extremely low concentrations in kombucha. Oh, yeah. No, under half a percent. The legally prescribed yeah. limit is half a percent. I mean, you have about as much alcohol in kombucha as you do in unpasteurized fruit juice, right? Yeah, so, exactly. You know, it's, it's not, again, it's there as a preservative. It's not intended to inebriate. Now, you'll see some over 21 kombuchas, and first of all, most of them, if it's just a traditional fermentation, isn't probably going to get any more than a 2%. Again, still not no. going to get you drunk. But right. because 0.5% is our legally allowed limit, they they've applied and have a license. Uh, you'll also see hybrids. Have you seen the kombucha beers? Oh, no, I haven't. Yeah, so some companies are fermenting hops or they're using other yeast to increase the alcohol content, and they're making these yes. hybrid kombucha beers. So oh, in the craft beer scene, you might see things um, out there that, that have either hops flavor or kombucha beer. So, so kombucha beer is a thing, and it's different from beer, <laughs> and it's different from kombucha, but it's a really neat. And I think we're going to see a lot more of these. Like some companies, are making, you know, coffee fermented with kombucha cultures or, you know, tisans oh, like hibiscus fermented mm-hmm. with kombucha culture. So we're tip of the iceberg with this stuff. I think we're going to continue to see an explosion of interesting different fermented drinks on the market. And kombucha is just, you know, plowing the way for all of that. And, yeah. you know, in terms of the alcohol issue, we have run into uh, some issues here and there in terms of regulatory, but um, Kombucha Brewers International, which is the nonprofit trade association Alex and I co-founded in in 2014, specifically mm-hmm. to address the issues that came out of 2010, um, we're in the process of establishing a new testing method for kombucha with AOAC. They are a standard-setting okay. organization, uh, originally mm-hmm. part of the USDA back in the 1800s to, you know, create standards for testing fertilizer. Um, but they they are the ones who, who uh, help to develop testing methods for all kinds of things. And so... We're really excited to spearhead this because we believe it will also then provide an accurate, a more accurate testing method for folks who are making water kefir or ginger beer or mm-hmm. a kvass, some of these other ferments that if you use the distillation method or the standard specific gravity methods used in beer and wine, you get much higher results um, from those because they don't take into account the more sophisticated process of the bacteria at interplaying with the ethanol and converting that into healthy acids. So, Oh, awesome. I love that. That's amazing. And 
I, I totally agree with you that it is tip of the iceberg because, you know, these things definitely lend themselves to being um, artisanal and, and for people to get in there and experiment and change it up and um, I think that's super exciting. Well, and I think we're seeing a huge movement away from mass-produced into mm-hmm. artisanal, even in yes. our quote-unquote mass-produced products, right? right. Um, you know, the coconut water and the the chia drinks and, you know, people Mm -hmm. are wanting things that don't just deliver flavor-wise but also deliver nutrition-wise and oftentimes are sourced locally. So this has been a huge opportunity for anyone to get into the fermentation world, be you making sauerkraut or kombucha. You know, there's so many people who need this stuff that there's just – right now we have an opportunity for many folks if they're – you know, ready to shift careers or want a side gig, this is something you can easily get going with and mm-hmm. um, create an opportunity for yourself in your local community. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, I love finding um, the local brewers as we've been on our real food road trip and traveling around. We have found just some of the, the most fun flavors. And, you know, we're always like going into the local stores and going, okay, like what's new? Mm. You know, who who can we discover? <laughs> um, because like down in Texas, Buddha's Brew, um, mm-hmm. our favorite there was pineapple super greens. Like I still have a, a hankering for that when I bought it by the growler Yum. Um, when we left and oh my goodness yeah I miss it I can't buy it here um and or really anywhere outside of Texas and so that was fantastic and um we discovered health aid here mm-hmm. um hum kombucha was up in Oregon there's been all kinds of fun ones all over yeah um, everyone you're mentioning great. are members of our organization which is really oh great. very cool yeah no the industry <laughs> has really come together we started with 40 companies in uh 2014 we're double that and these are companies wow. all over the world every day we're getting more emails about people wanting to get into this marketplace so it's really exciting to see awesome. um to see how how robust this is going to become and um you know just getting the information out to people just like what you do amy and in, in uh, sharing information with people it, it's not new information but what's really great mm-hmm. is we have all this great new research to help us understand why this ancient practice is something that humans practice for for millennia, for centuries. So, um, right. Because it is a little more complicated. Like you said, like, I think, you know, at at its root, yes, it's sweetened tea that you ferment, you add in the SCOBY, you know, and, and it becomes kombucha. And I think that's great. Like people understand that at, at a, at a very intellectual level, but when you're actually there and you're faced with making this in your kitchen and, you don't really know what you're doing and it's kind of like, Oh my gosh, this is scary. Like you said, am I going to, you know, be able to make this safely and whatever it's having that assistance that help that information, um, that really helps you to, to do this. And that's exactly what we do. We provide quality information, quality supplies, and quality support. Because, mm-hmm. like you said, first people want to get curious. They want to read all about it. So you check out our information. We have a free ebook you can sign up for at kombuchacamp.com. Oh, cool. That's camp with a K backslash kombucha recipe. Um, okay. It, you also get a downloadable recipe guide. So we just want everybody to have the information they need in order to do this safely. So that's the first thing, quality Beautiful. information. Then we have quality supplies. So let's say, you know, you see this ad on Craigslist, who knows where that was grown or what kind of tea they're using or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this, that, or the other. At least, you know, you've got quality supplies coming from kombucha camp. And, uh, right. you know, we take the guesswork out of everything. We put together these great packages that make it easy, give you all the supplies and the support you need. And that's the third piece of this puzzle. It's not like, okay, here you go. Good luck. Right. <laughs> Hope you don't have any questions. 
Exactly. <laughs> because, of course, people have tons of questions. And so that's that's the third part of what we do here is quality support. We answer every email that, that people send to us. So whether you're our customer or not, we just want you to feel empowered so that, you know, when you have a positive experience with kombucha, you then go out and share that with other people. And if we can okay. get you that quality information and that quality support, then you feel really confident, you know, sharing it with your neighbor and teaching them how to do it. And, um, you know, that's that's really our end goal is uh, changing the world one gut at a time. That's our mission. I love that. And we don't, we know we can't do it alone. We don't want to do it alone. You know, that's not how nature works. That's not how our, our planet works. We want to do it in collaboration with like minds and like hearts. And um, that's why we love talking to people like you, Amy, because we know that you are, you're with us on our mission. Oh, and it, it so takes a community. It so does. I mean, it really is all of us working together. And, and like you said, um, so many people are going to have questions about this and really wonder, you know, um, well, what do I even do with it? You know, how much do I use? Can I hurt myself with it? Is it safe for someone that has XYZ condition? Or Yeah, absolutely. So that support is really helpful. And I will definitely put, um, for anyone listening, I will put the show notes um, for this episode, uh, again, on realfoodwholehealth.com under podcasts under episodes, um, you'll find the show notes and cause I know people listen doing a lot of activities sometimes. So that way they can find all of this. We're going to link to the free book. We're going to li- link to where, um, people can get your cultures and where people can, you know, find answer cities questions. Absolutely. And I encourage everyone to click through Amy's link because, um, you know, Part of what we do is we collaborate with people, and when we work with someone like Amy, she gets an opportunity to uh, earn back a little commission on your purchase. You're, the price is exactly the same to you, but um, you are helping Amy support her podcast and getting this information out when you click through her link. So I definitely recommend people do that. Um, awesome, thank you. Absolutely, love the support. Well, you know, and this is we're this is part of we're in it together. Community, common immunity, common immunity, right. community. That's how we think of it. You you know, our immune system requires interaction not only with our environment outside, but with other people. Because mm-hmm. when we hug, when we kiss, when we share each other's cups, when we taste each other's kombucha, we pass minute amounts of bacteria back and forth to each other. And what that does is it allows your immune system to come into contact with organisms that may or may not be beneficial to you and allow your Mm -hmm. immune system to do what it does naturally, which is to create a defense against it. And so for us, community is more than just, um, you know, who you're connecting with online, but it's also reaching out to your physical space, to other people around you, because more often than not, it's just fear and lack of knowing who that person is that that separates us. And as soon as we just Mm -hmm. quickly break that boundary with a handshake or a hello, more often than not, we're able to make a new friend. And um, Yeah, that's so true. And I love thinking of it that way. That's really great. And, and it's so important as we transition our life and we, you know, make these real food changes, make these, you know, natural living changes, like to build that support system. So important. Absolutely. Well, we, we're not, we don't, we might be quote unquote born here alone, but we certainly don't, I mean, Look, you have to be We're not made to be in isolation. Not at all. I mean, even in your mother's womb, you are in symbiosis, right? Mm-hmm. You are never truly alone because you have right. 
Well, you have all your bacteria buddies. <laughs> a lot of those. In fact, we're more bacteria than we kind of are anything else. Exactly. Right? Well, and I love this because I think of us as bacteria sapiens, bacterio sapiens. Like, I think mm-hmm. that describes the the relationship we have. And unfortunately, we've been um, tied to this concept of germ warfare and pasteurization. And certainly there are certain things out of that that have been good. It's good to kind of clean things up. But I think unfortunately what pasteurization has led us to is making up for unsanitary conditions. It allows us to to let the pus and the goop and everything get in the milk because who cares? We're just going to kill all the bacteria. Well, how about we just have a much cleaner operation to begin with? From the get-go. Or a smaller operation, you know, one that can actually handle the amount of cows. And, you know, but again, we could talk all day long about our processed food system and how far (laughs) off track it's gotten from what I think people truly want, which is that local curated in season, um, you know, eating in harmony with nature rather than being out outside of that. Right. Well, and exactly the thing that I love about food and the real foods movement is that it puts the power back in our hands. Mm -hmm. It puts the power right into our kitchens. You know, I mean, we choose what we buy, we choose what we eat. Um, and I think that that's really important. And, and again, kombucha is part of that empowerment because it's something that you can do. It's very powerful um, to be able to make this right in your own kitchen yeah. and not have to rely on an outside source well, for that. And we think of it as a rebel's drink because essentially what you're doing is saying, I'm self-sufficient, I'm self-sustaining, and I can make something that's far superior to what, what I'm able to purchase out there at least from the mainstream, right? You know, if you've got access to kombucha at your grocery store, awesome. We always love when people support their local brewers. And, hey, look, I don't make my own yogurt. I still buy yogurt at the store. Right. So we're going to pick and choose the things that uh, we want to make in our community, and then we'll support others who are making uh, things in our community that that support us. So, uh, you know, we've always seen this as a very mutually symbiotic relationship. I didn't learn about kombucha except I went to the store and grabbed a bottle off the shelf, you know. So that was my first experience with it, and we know that's how a lot of people will come to it but yeah you know in terms of uh you know doing it right and doing it safely it's it's those three things quality information quality supplies and quality support those will you will be okay. successful with every batch and i know that you were making it for a while and then you started your road trip so what happened are you still making it you know we're not um we have been supporting those local brewers but um i would like to get back into making our own my only hold up has been um that I was afraid as we were traveling around, because of course we're traveling in a big motorhome, and even though um, it's very smooth on the road, we're still moving like you would mm-hmm. be in a car. And so um, I kind of thought, you know, like at, at, on the farm, you know, I had my big glass jars, and, and they were over in the corner, and they were covered with a little tea towel, and they had their own little area, and, you know, it was not um, disturbed. And so I kind of thought, are the cultures going to be able to do what they need to do? Are they going to freak out if, because <laughs> they're alive, right. are they going to freak out if we're driving down the road and, and jostling them around? And then they're in all these different um, climates. Mm-hmm. You know, we were going from um, California and Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, back over to California. Then we're going to Texas, Florida. I kind of thought, that's a lot for these cultures to sort of adapt to, but um, I think we were talking pre-show, and you said maybe that's not actually the case. It's Yeah, absolutely. Well, think about it. Okay, these things, if they are thousands or hundreds, even if they're just hundreds of years old, mm-hmm. they have been passed around True. in all kinds of conditions. They've had to deal with us dirty, messy humans and still survive. 
That's true. <laughs> be beneficial to us, like... which is why we then continue to cultivate them. So I totally understand. And that's this is, again, where we come into play, is there's a lot of old wives' tales, and they, they sprung mm-hmm. up for good reason. Um, it's true. When you have the opportunity, you want to leave it undisturbed. That allows the layer to form. It allows the fermentation process to occur beneath that layer. But if you're in a moving vehicle, be that an RV, a boat, or whatever, you can still brew kombucha, and it will still ferment. Now, what you may notice is that the SCOBY may not form in the same way because of the constant stimulation. Basically, mm-hmm. the bacterial cellulose, right, they, they throw out the nanofibers of bacteria. Those bond together, and that's what creates the layer. Well, if there's okay. more consistent movement, it's not as easy for them to form that bond. Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't ferment. It just means the SCOBY might look different. But provided the flavor is still there, then that's not a problem. And then, again, using the heater or, you know, or putting it in a cooler place if you're in a hot place, um, just kind of moderating that temperature and trying to keep it in that target temperature range is going to allow you to transition from place to place and still yield delicious-tasting kombucha. Okay, that's awesome. And, well, and, you know, when you explain it like that, it's like, well, of course, that – totally makes sense and even on top of that like inside of the rv like the the temperature and everything's fairly consistent because of course air conditioners and heaters and you know all of that as normal i mean it's just like a house on wheels and so um so that totally makes sense and it would actually save us a ton (laughs) of money because i mean i'm still gonna buy you know the neat the neat flavors when we find them when we're you know out at the Whole Foods and, and the natural food stores, but to be able to just have our um, our standard everyday kombucha here would be like a huge savings because we do yeah daily booch because we go through a lot because um, I just find that it really I feel really great and energized with it and you know like I said it wasn't always that way when I was first introduced to kombucha um, I was a massage therapist um, in the late nineties and um, and so I sort of heard about it because you're kind of dialed into that natural mm-hmm. uh, living community. And I, I had heard about it and I was like, oh, whatever. It wasn't like a real big thing. And then, um, you know, I saw a bottle at my local health food store and I got it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is that thing everybody's been talking about. So I tried it and I thought, oh, no, this is like so not for me. Um, I actually at the time I was still very, even though I was in that community, I was still very standard American diet, had a lot of gut issues, a lot of candida, a lot of those kind of things and my body could just not handle it like I could not do it yeah um and so I like took a sip I'm like no I actually felt very lightheaded Mm. very weird Mm -hmm. like from one sip and it was not appealing to me at all the smell of it just made me feel very awful I actually kind of hurt all over just smelling it was crazy it was really crazy especially now to look back on that well, experience. Well, think about where the state your body was in. Yeah, I mean, it, right. it needed it, but it was totally afraid of it. And it was because yes. those sugar-loving organisms know, uh-oh, here comes the end of us. And they start exactly. freaking out. And they're like, no, don't kill us. We want to stay. Right. And so it's so true. No, they will, so they will true. influence your, your decisions. Yeah. Oh, they do. And, I mean, we talk a lot about candida uh, in our practice and with our clients. We we talk about how it actually does ap- change your behavior. It changes the foods that you eat. It changes your mood. I mean, so much. So, yeah, absolutely. And um, so I put it away. And I, and I, for years after that, actually, I was like, oh, no, I can't do kombucha. I can't do it. Well, as popularity grew and I got more into real food and I, you know, we changed our diet, we changed our lifestyle, we'd done a lot of healing. I kept hearing about it and I still in my mind, I was like, nope, I can't do kombucha, I don't know how anybody does it, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) 
Well, <laughs> one day I finally decided, all right, I've read enough about the benefits. I'm going to go. I will hold my nose. I am going to drink this no matter what. I'm going to do it. And I went and bought a bottle, and I took a sip, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> it was so delicious. Like, my body immediately wanted it. I responded to it so differently. And from then on, it was like, okay, I can have it. And um, I did start, you know, conservatively with just a few ounces just to make sure I was going to, you know, respond well. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because you can have a little bit of a detox reaction. Absolutely. Yeah, and so I did start small, um, but yeah, absolutely no issues with it, no problems, um, definitely a healthy part of our diet, and it's so great because when I refer my clients to start drinking kombucha, it's like, this is like such a great thing to help get people off of soda. Yes, yes. Huge, because you've got the effervescence, you've got that little bit of flavor, it's not just water. Well, let me let me clue you into a little bit of my, I've got a lot of theories, right? They they just kind of okay. bubble up as I yeah. drink a lot of kombucha and meditate. Um, <laughs> so one of the theories is we are hardwired to seek carbonation, and here's why. Um, okay. What creates carbonation? Yeast, okay. Right. So yeast, what they do as part of their fermentive process and how they indicate their presence is bubbles. So okay. they immediately start converting sugar, any sugar they can get their hands on. So in beer, that's, you know, malt. In yeah. wine, that's the grape juice. In kombucha, it's the sweet tea. Um, they get their hands on that sugar and they immediately start converting it to CO2 and those trace amounts of ethanol. Um, That CO2 becomes a visual cue to the consumer, hey, fermentation is occurring. And then couple that with with smells and your other senses, and your body was like, ooh, I want this. Now, why do they want the yeast? Well, yeast contain all of the B vitamins in living form. Mm -hmm. And some of the labs we've been working with, it's exciting. They are showing great, terrific amounts of B12 in some of the kombuchas out there. And B12 is one of those tricky um, B vitamins that can be hard to get. Folks who, like you, experience that little bit of wooziness or lightheadedness, oftentimes it's a result of getting nutrition in a living form that you're simply not accustomed to. Mm -hmm. Uh, People who take B vitamin shots will report that same type Yes. feeling but again it goes away very quickly so people will confuse it and think oh i'm drunk no you're not in fact you're high on nutrition you are literally right. buzzing off of the b12 and the other <laughs> b vitamins present from the yeast and that's why getting a traditionally fermented kombucha can give you a different type of feeling than some of the other ones out there that are more kind of like a concentrated with a probiotic now yeah. All of the kombuchas are going to be better to drink than a soda, but if you find those like a Health Aid or a Buddha's Brew or, you know, some of the other ones you mentioned that have that traditional fermentation, you're also going to get that other health benefit present from it. And so, you know, it's also picking which brand you're getting as well. And that's trusting your gut. And everything you described is a trust your gut experience. Your it gut is. initially wasn't ready for the kombucha, and it gave you the signs to back off. And maybe if you'd done a couple ounces here or there, you would have triggered that healing reaction, and you may or may not have continued, because a lot of people will confuse that healing reaction with, oh, kombucha's giving me candida. You know, okay. like they'll confuse that. 
you do or I'm allergic to it exactly, or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, every body can tolerate kombucha provided they're in the right space. And that's one of kind mm-hmm. of the signs that our body has healed is us being able to tolerate foods that previously created a negative reaction in mm-hmm. the body. Oh, that's so true. Right. And so we do more than just kombucha kombucha camp. We also have water kefir, milk kefir. We have jun, which is a raw honey ferment. And sometimes folks will need to start on the kefirs. Um, they're really great if you make them with coconut products because mm-hmm. – um, the, the high amounts of caprylic acid that help with the candida. And in fact, kombucha also does contain caprylic acid as well as phenethyl alcohol, both of which are known candida sides. So kombucha does help kill candida, but it can be an intense reaction. And if you're not ready for that, it might be better to just start with a coconut water you know, coconut water kefir until your body has a chance to kind of rebalance a little bit more and then include the kombucha from there. Yeah. So um, we've seen people go many different ways with it. But, yeah, you have an instinctual desire for effervescence. So now look at sodas. Sodas are the wannabe fermented drinks. Right. They're what we call simulacrum. They're a fake version of a real food, just like, you know, Crisco's fake lard. Um, right. So you have the, um, the, the healthy acids present in the fermented drinks. They add phosphoric acid, which unfortunately has a negative effect on the Right. imitate that flavor. They add carbonation where carbonation is naturally present in these other drinks. And then the flavors. I mean, the health benefits that you get from, you know, a real root beer or an old-fashioned ginger ale, you mm-hmm. receive all of the nutritional benefits of what was right. being made. It wasn't just a sugary extract. And that root beer, especially with all those different herbs. Sassafras. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they even did a smear campaign against sassafras. Look, anything consumed in excessive quantities is possibly carcinogenic because <laughs> you're not supposed to eat it in those quantities. And, in fact, nobody right. ever would. Um, right. You know, but that's you got That's what you got to deal with in this world is uh, is that kind of stuff. But when you come back into the knowledge of the herbs and, and that kind of thing, of course, you want to you know, use them with caution. Herbs do have their own kind of rules and, and ways of being utilized. So definitely working with someone like yourself or someone who's a knowledgeable herbalist is, is the right way to go with that. But, you know, using small amounts of herbs and things in flavoring your kombucha also confer that nutritional benefit. So mm-hmm. a little bit of hibiscus helps with uh, with lowering the blood pressure. A little bit of um, a ginger helps reduce upset tummy, you know. So picking and choosing your flavors based on how it's going to support you is a really smart way to do it. Like in winter, I almost always recommend people add elderberries because that mm, helps nice. the respiratory. So, yeah. you know, you can then tweak your flavors to um, tailor them to what's going on in your environment or what time of year. I love that. That's so smart. And, you know, and it's great because it keeps that variety coming for you, for yeah. you. And, um, you know, we were talking about the sodas and I mean, yeah. So on top of this natural, um, natural effervescence that you're craving, you know, because you would have wanted the naturally fermented, you know, then this hits you with so much sugar right. and caffeine. It's all these addictive stimulants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are very concerned um, because um, they hear that there's caffeine in kombucha. They hear that there's sugar in kombucha. I mean, it's sweet tea and, oh, we're not supposed to, to drink that. But they they don't understand perhaps that that's actually mostly used up. Well, and that's our answer is always consider the source. Yeah. Soda versus kombucha. You know, you're going to get more benefit. See, this is the old game, right, Amy? It's the calorie game. Calories in, calories out. It doesn't matter any nutritional value, which, of course, you and I both 
both know is a load of BS. Like you right. have to consider what is the nutritional value of what I'm putting in my body. It's not mm-hmm. just this, you know, one to one ratio for with the calories. And, um, you know, that's one of the hardest things we have to overcome is helping people realize that calories and counting them is kind of a game that you can't really win because if you don't understand the nutritional value of the foods you're eating, you know, a, a Twinkie and a, uh, a steak might have the same amount of calories, but one is going to have a way better effect on your body than the other. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. um, and that's what's true about the kombucha. Like people are staring at the sugar grams or looking at the label. They're like, I want the one that's not made with sugar. Well, first of all, kombucha requires sugar. So there is mm-hmm. no kombucha out there that is not made with sugar. They are all made with sugar. Now that sugar is fermented. And so it's changed from a disaccharide into monosaccharides. Uh, mm-hmm. The fructose is consumed by the yeast. The glucose turns into our glucose conic glucuronic acid. So um, in fact, your DNA structure is built with a sugar phosphate. Everything needs sugar, but it's considered right. the source. Are you getting that from a high fructose corn syrup? Are you getting it from a chemicalized sugar substitute that is likely carcinogenic? Are you getting it from, you know, from just table sugar? So thinking about where those things are coming from and the quality that they are, that should mm-hmm. help you choose which of the sweet items should I consume. And um, if you're picking the one that also has the, the healthy bacteria, the healthy yeast, the healthy acids, then you're, you're on the right track regardless of the of the sugar content totally and when we're talking about like a soda you're talking about like 40 grams of sugar when you're talking about kombucha for a glass for eight ounces i mean it's somewhere in like the under 10 range like two to six depending on your flavors Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so and i think you were saying even like orange juice is going to have more sugar than that nutritional value if it's pasteurized Yes. Oh, definitely. Right? So, like, drinking juice is, pasteurized juice, it's just like drinking sugar water. Sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, because you you kill off all of the beneficial elements through that process. And that's what I meant before about, you know, it's probably done a little bit more harm than good because it doesn't allow us to get, you know, I'm lucky. I can go down the street to a local co-op and they they sell a fresh juice it's got a very short Mm -hmm. shelf life and I have to buy it right away but that raw juice really just invigorates me in a way that um, other juice doesn't Um, right but you've got to you know so it's considering the source and making sure you're picking what supports your health not just (laughs) the game of the numbers that has been set up it's so true because people are trying oh well I want sugar-free or I want this or I want that and it's like you know we have to actually realize that the sugar is necessary because it's feeding, um, feeding the kombucha. Well, and it's closing and it's the, the loop. Yeast. It's closing the yeah. biofeedback loop. Your brain is hardwired to seek a certain amount of sugar. And if it doesn't ever get that, close the loop. Like, that's the problem with those chemical sugars is they don't ever satisfy the um, the biofeedback loop that you've gotten sugar. And that's why you continue to crave it. More, 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 exactly. more, more. Whereas if yeah. you have a little bit of, you know, real sugar, that closes the loop and now you don't crave it. Now you've satisfied what it is your body is looking for. And I think closing the feedback loop is really important to mention here as we're yeah. talking about the labels and counting calories is, you know, people will be sitting there eating something that says healthy on the label or low fat on the label, not realizing that it's the very thing that's making them feel terrible. And right. we have been trained to not listen to our guts, to not listen to our biological reactions. You know, I know as soon as my throat starts acting up, okay, 
there's like an oil here. There's, there's something in this food that's irritating my body. But it took mm-hmm. me a really long time to connect that <laughs> after I ate with, oh, mm-hmm. this is caused by what I ate. And when that reaction happens, that's a sign to me, hey, reduce that food because it's creating a near instantaneous reaction where my body's saying, hey, that wasn't so great. Right. But it's it's confusing because the label says healthy and the label says this. And how do you know? And that's where right. listening to your body and educating yourself really comes into play and you know for better or worse we're at this point in our existence as human beings where we need to um, do more of the research we can't just blindly trust all of the information that's fed to us and that again is part of consider the source you know what is the source of the information you're putting into your body what's the source of the food what's the source of just anything that goes through your human filter Right. And it's, yeah, it's so true because it's not just bad, um, bad advice or bad science or whatever that's out there. I mean, there's so many um, financial interests at play that you really do have to be your own advocate and dig. Whether we're talking about reading labels or making medical decisions or whatever, you have to be your own advocate and really educate yourself. Um, And so, you know, I mean, that's why we do what we do, right? Except, well, and if there's anything that's uniquely yours, it's your body. It's the one thing that you retain full autonomy over, uh, for the most part, depending on where you live. Um, But you know what I'm saying. (laughs) We're supposed to retain full autonomy over this vehicle that our our soul is embodied in. And um, and so it it makes getting that information even more crucial because – you are the one in charge of, you're the steward of this physical being and Mm -hmm. only you can decide what goes in or not. And, and that's where, you know, kombucha again, it's that gateway. It's just that one step in the doorway. It starts to make you feel better. It makes you realize, Hey, look, I don't have to eat food and and feel terrible. I can consume something and and feel good. And it helps reconnect you back into all of these concepts we talked about. So common immunity, um, closing the loop. Yeah. Uh, Connecting with source. I feel like I had another one there. Um, you know, oh, consider the source. That's right. So considering the source of what goes in. Uh, but all, all of that is just, just connecting you back into what you are, which is a beautiful, amazing, you know, piece of nature. Bacterio sapien. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Powered by bacteria. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The right bacteria. And that's why antibiotics have had such a tough um, impact on our bodies because mm-hmm. really we need like controls like. We need the healthy bacteria to hold the bad bacteria in check. And in fact, some of those bacteria we think are bad are actually necessary in certain mm-hmm. quantities for healthy exactly. functioning. And so it's not all Candida albicans is bad. It's not all H. pylori is bad. It's in what it's quantities. It's out of balance. Exactly. See, balance. It really just comes back to balance, Amy, more than anything. It so does. It so does. And, you know, we were talking about listening to your body, and it's such a learned skill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it used to be, I mean, if we look at children, they very often um, have this down until they um, get a hold of the food, right? Okay. Um, because it starts changing them. And a lot of the foods are engineered, like with MSG and things like that, to, to trick our receptors and to do these kind of things so that we make different choices rather than listening to our body but it's such a natural thing to listen to our body but I think we talk a lot about the concept of of noise Mm. there being too much noise um, to be able to listen to what's going on because you know I I talk to people about okay well when I'm craving 
something salty or I'm craving this or that, like sometimes the picture that comes up in my mind might be like French fries. Mm. Okay. But I know like I'm not going to go drive through McDonald's and get French fries and that's going to do it. Right. Right. It's like, okay, I actually need something salty. And so I sit there for a minute and go, what is it about the French fry? Mm -hmm. Okay. That I'm wanting. Is it the, the boost of energy from the carbs? Is it the, um, warm, you know, mm-hmm. warmness, is it the saltiness or what is it? So that can help guide me into what I need. But before, before I really changed my diet and like removed a lot of this noise, the toxins, the, the chemical stimulants, all of those things before that was removed, I would have just thought, oh, I need French fries. Right. So when I tell people to like, well, and who needs French fries, by the way? Me. But, no. <laughs> <laughs> just not for McDonald's. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. But truly, um, I think so many people, they go, well, you know, I'm, I'm craving this stuff, so I must need it, right? When we're talking about like, oh, the soda craving and everything, they're like, oh, so I must need soda. No, we have to go a little bit deeper. What is it about that right. that's so appealing? And for so many people, it is that effervescence. And it's because... Because they're seeking nutrition in a living form. They don't even understand it because we're so beautifully hardwired to seek it out. Again, because it's been with us throughout all, you know, people didn't even drink water, Amy. The water was full of bacteria and things that would give you dysentery and disease. You didn't drink water. There was no eight glasses of water a day, which honestly I've never been able to make myself do. Um, (laughs) I think what you really wanted were these fermented drinks. So if that was kefir, if that was kvass, if that was beer, if that was, you know, they even posit that the whole reason people started growing grain wasn't for bread it was for beer it was because Mm -hmm. we needed that fermented beverage in our lives and I have another weird theory that maybe someday will be proven one way or another and that is when we consume pasteurized versions of these products our body never receives the biofeedback it's looking for and that creates Mm -hmm. additional craving for it so if you're consuming you know biodynamic wine or unfiltered beer You'll have a couple and then you'll feel satisfied because your body has received what it needs. But if you're right. drinking, you know, something Bud Light or whatever, you know, just to toss a name out there that's a pasteurized beer, you might constantly crave more and more and more of it because you're never getting what it is you're hardwired to seek. Right. And um, and that might be part of what's leading to overconsumption of some of these products or why you end up with a beer belly when, uh, you know, probably people in ancient days didn't get that because their bodies just – they drank what they needed. And that's the same with, like, the question of how much kombucha should I drink or how much is the right amount to drink. Well, it's listening. How much broccoli should you eat? Right. At a certain <laughs> point, your body's like, all right, I'm done with the broccoli. I'm done I've with had broccoli. enough of whatever I needed from that. It's the same with the kombucha. Um, you mm-hmm. know, some people will freak out because initially they'll feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm craving so much of this. And does that mean I'm addicted to it? And usually right. what it is is your body's rebalancing. Now, of course, mm-hmm. if you have candida or something where there's sugar involved, you do need to make sure, is this a properly fermented kombucha? Is enough of the sugar out of it that I'm not just stimulating the sugar? So that's a valid question to ask. And, again, your taste buds are the most sensitive receptors you have and they're going to tell you if something is is uh, too sweet or not and Mm -hmm. again it just comes back to trusting the there's a huge amount of information and wisdom contained within our dna within our bodies that you know has taken millennia to evolve and um, when we start to plug back into that innate wisdom we find what it is our bodies need and you know every body needs something different and your bacteria is different from my bacteria and and so on it's like it's like your thumbprint. These are unique 
parts of what your humanness is. And so when you plug into, when you let go of the labels, which I think is really important because so often labels will lead to orthorexia or lead to a certain uptightness about the types of foods we allow ourselves to consume. When we listen to what it is our bodies truly need and don't worry about the labels, you know, you might need a steak once a month or once every two months. And that's sufficient. It gives you everything you need. And you can continue to be, quote, unquote, vegetarian the rest of the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't, you know, being so held to these particular labels, I think, doesn't allow our bodies to get exactly what it needs. Right. Whereas if we were just listening to it, responding to it, seeing how we feel, I mean, that's really that's really the true test and that's I mean that's why I'm in nutritional therapy to teach people how to navigate these things mm-hmm. and really listen to that feedback because you're right I mean we can we can read all the science we can look at everything that we want but it really day to day is how is our body responding how do we feel how is our performance what's going on with us specifically exactly that's amazing. <laughs> well, and the one thing I didn't get to mention was about continuous brew, and I think it would be one that would oh, be yeah. great for you. And here's why. Um, so continuous brew is where we make a larger batch of kombucha. Maybe it's more like a two-gallon batch. Um, all of our packages have like a two-and-a-half-gallon vessel. So you make this larger batch of kombucha. It's going to take a little bit longer for the first batch to be ready. But once it is, instead of draining the entire vessel, we only take out about 25 to 50%. What that does is it leaves 75 to 50% already fermented kombucha in our vessel. So when we add our sweet tea to top it off, now it only takes a couple of days for that kombucha to be ready again. So the benefit to this is not only do you have a continuous supply on hand, but those healthy acids I mentioned before, oftentimes they take 14, 30 days to fully form in your brew, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people for a one-gallon batch of 30 days would not be a delicious kombucha. So if you do this continuous process, you end up getting access to more of those healthy acids because they're created constantly throughout the process, but you're also tempering the flavor with the sweet tea. So you get a flavor you love, you get um, additional health benefits that you wouldn't necessarily get in a batch brew, and you, you know, even if you go out of town or you have to take a break, everything is in a pre-made SCOBY hotel. It just hangs out when you're ready, you top off with a little sweet tea, you're back to your kombucha in just a couple of days instead of having to start all over again. So definitely recommend it for your, for your travels, uh, one of those continuous brewers, because it will, it'll make you delicious kombucha, and then you can just grab it right off the tap. That's really awesome. You know, that was something I never did set up um, at the farm. I always read about it, and I thought that's great. And, yeah, so I definitely need to look into doing well, that. Well, maybe we'll do a little video while you're still here. We can show people how to set it up. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has really been informative and phenomenal. And, you know, I definitely recommend kombucha to so many people. Um, I think it's really, really important. I love what you um, talk about with it sort of being a reconnection. Um, for us. So thank you so much for sharing. My pleasure, Amy. Thank you for what you do and giving me the opportunity to share kombucha with with all the people you love. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for joining us today. And please remember to leave us an iTunes review. Also head over to our website at realfoodwholehealth.com and enter your email to receive free goodies, discounts, updates, and more. See you next time on the Real Food Whole Health Podcast.